I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Yesterday, my wife asked me what I was preaching about today, and I said, women. <laughs> and with a twinkle in her eye, she said, what do you know about that? And I said, honey, I'm not preaching about what I know about women. I'm preaching about what the Bible says about women in ministry. And our scripture for today, uh, as we continue this series from the book of Acts, and our focus is on women in ministry, and our scripture comes from Acts 2, verses 17 and 18, and then from a later, the latter part of the reading is from Acts 18, about a woman named Priscilla. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. First, from Acts 2, this is part of St. Peter's great sermon on the day of Pentecost, 17, verses 17 and 18. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And then from Acts chapter 18, beginning with verse 18, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sincrea because of a vow he had made. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus with great... Uh, accurately though he knew only the baptism of John he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla heard him she, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately this is the word of God for the people of God thanks be to God please be seated and let us pray Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> I have a friend, good friend who has a problem with women preachers. It's not that he has a problem with women. I mean, his mother and wife are women. It's just he believes that St. Paul's guidance to Timothy about prohibiting women from speaking in church uh, is a timeless universal rule across the centuries rather than guidance from Paul to Timothy for a specific place in time 
and my friend belongs to a church that does not ordain women. I will not say the name of the church, but it's a big one. And I asked my friend one day, I said, look, if God did not intend for women to teach or preach, why did he make them so verbal? <laughs> I mean, go by any kindergarten uh, at recess time and just listen to the little kids on the playground. The little boys, most of them, will be making noises. Boom, yap, yay, engine noises. But listen to the little girls. They're using words, and lots of them. <laughs> Even complete sentences. Someone said that women speak because they want to, whereas men speak when they are compelled to, like when he can't find any clean socks. We should begin this message with a word of confession. The church has at times treated women shabbily. Across the centuries, women have been the primary volunteers for the church, and yet they have been underappreciated and at times discriminated against. Perhaps you have heard the old story about three people who reported to heaven. Uh, one of them, the first one was a logger from Oregon, and he got to the pearly gates. St. Peter was there, and St. Peter said, Welcome, good to see you, but you'll have to pass a test to get in. The test is spell the word God. The logger said, G-O-D. St. Peter said, Good, welcome to heaven. Next person to arrive was a rancher from Texas. St. Peter said, There will be a test. Spell the word God, G-O-D. Welcome, glad to have you. Welcome to heaven. Next person to arrive was a businesswoman from New York City. And um, St. Peter said, uh, there will be a test to get in to heaven. She said, I can't believe that. All my life I've had to pass tests that men didn't have to pass, overcome obstacles they didn't have to overcome. And I thought surely when I got to the gates of heaven that would be over and there would be perfect equality here. I am so disappointed, St. Peter. St. Peter said, wait a minute, you don't understand. This is not a test for women. It's a test for everybody, men and women. Oh, she said, in that case, give me the test. He said, spell Czechoslovakia. <laughs> As I bring the light of Holy Scripture to bear on the subject of women preachers, I want to make three statements based on Scripture. First one. St. Paul's prohibition against women teachers was temporary guidance for a particular place, not a permanent standard. St. Paul gave Timothy this instruction, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. And that guidance is repeated in the letter of 1 Corinthians. Now remember the setting in the first century. Women were certainly second-class citizens at the very most. They were not allowed to attend school. Both Jews and Gentiles uh, would have felt it was disgraceful for a man to discuss issues of any kind with a woman in public. It was just not done. And Jews were even stricter. They did not allow women to instruct a male child after the age of five, even their own child. 
Now, why did Paul go along with these prejudices from the first century? Remember, St. Paul's dominant mission was evangelism to save souls. He really thought that Jesus was going to return shortly. And so he was compelled to save as many as possible in a short period of time. And so anything that he thought would make it more difficult, he tended to be against. And most men of that first century would have been scandalized if women were leading the Christian movement. Therefore, Paul advised a low profile for women at that time. But while Paul was influenced by the prejudices of his day, his absolute authority was Holy Scripture. And Paul knew that five centuries earlier, the prophet Joel had been inspired by God to write these words, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. And that word prophesy does not mean here to predict the future. It means forthtelling rather than foretelling. It means to declare, thus saith the Lord. It means to preach. And there's a rich record of women preachers in the Old Testament. Uh, and a woman who preached or was a prophet was called a prophetess. Well, Deborah in the Old Testament was anointed as a prophetess. And the prophet Elijah was married to a woman prophetess. Now, Paul's timidity regarding women preachers was ambushed by the revolutionary good news of the gospel, declaring that all persons, regardless of their race or their sex or their class, all were equally valuable in God's sight. And that message just knocked the Middle Eastern cultures back on their heels. And let me tell you, it still is rocking the fundamentalist Muslim cultures of our day. Slowly but surely, the Holy Spirit pushed old St. Paul into a new understanding of women in ministry. And the fact that the church in those days met in homes rather than public buildings, of course, that gave more leadership to the women. In the New Testament, the prophetess Anna was the, the elderly lady at the temple who was there when baby Jesus was presented. And the four daughters of Philip the Evangelist were prophetesses. And in Corinthians 11, verse 5, it is clear that women were preaching and teaching in the church at Corinth that Paul founded. And the only thing Paul said to them is, please cover your head with something when you preach and pray in public. About 40% of the leaders commended in Paul's letters were women. You see, gradually the Holy Spirit brought St. Paul to see that our oneness in Christ is more important than any of our differences. Now that brings me to point number two. The Christian gospel liberated women to full equality. On the day of Pentecost when that Holy Spirit fell upon the church like a hurricane, St. Peter preached one of the great sermons in all of the Bible. He quoted the prophet Joel and St. Peter said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. 
your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. So there you got biblical support for women preaching both in the Old and the New Testament. Nothing in all of history has elevated the status of women and children more than Christianity. Women paid, played vital roles in Jesus' ministry. Remember, they provided hospitality and financial support. Uh, they knelt and wept at the cross on the day he was crucified. And who were the first people to meet the risen Christ? Women. And an angel uh, told them, go and tell. And so the very first people to declare Jesus is risen were women. And if that isn't preaching, I don't know what is. One of my favorite teachers uh, in the New Testament, a woman named Priscilla. It's a beautiful name. Uh, we meet her in Acts chapter 18. Uh, uh, Priscilla and her husband Aquila lived in Rome. And they were among the first Christian converts in Rome. Now, they worshipped in the Jewish synagogue in Rome. And when they began to proclaim that Jesus is Messiah, a lot of the, a lot of the Jews in the synagogue in Rome didn't like that. And so a big controversy broke out. And it sort of spilled over throughout the city of Rome. And the emperor, uh, uh, Claudius, in the year 49, he just wanted to stop all the controversy. So he expelled all of the Jews from Rome. So Priscilla and Aquila had to go. And they moved to a city in southern Greece uh, called Corinth. And by the grace of God, St. Paul arrived there about the same time. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard St. Paul preaching in the synagogue, they knew they had found a brother. And they were his primary supporters. And because Aquila was a tent maker like Paul, he and Paul became business partners. And Priscilla invited Paul to come and live in their home, which he did. It seems that Priscilla felt a special calling to share her faith. Uh, anytime you see the names of Priscilla and Aquila listed, her name is first, which is very unusual in biblical times. This tells me that she was definitely the spiritual leader in the home. Uh, she reminds me of the wife who said to me, my husband makes the living and I make the living worthwhile. Yeah. That was Priscilla's role. She was a leader. Perhaps it was Priscilla who helped the Holy Spirit inspire St. Paul to write this. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, St. Paul stayed uh, 18 months in Corinth, and then uh, God instructed him to move to Ephesus. And Priscilla and Aquila had been so influential in the Corinthian church that Paul persuaded them to move with him. And he didn't stay long in Ephesus. God commanded him to move on. And so the church in Ephesus was left in the hands of Priscilla and Aquila. And the church met in their home. Well, later a learned Jew named Apollos came to Ephesus. Uh, he knew the scripture thoroughly. He knew about the life of Jesus, knew how to preach it. He just didn't know about the Holy Spirit. 
So Priscilla and Aquila invited Apollos to their home. And there Priscilla did a little in-home counseling. And she gave him a more complete understanding of the gospel. And later Apollos went to Corinth and all over. He was one of the great preachers in the early church. Well, who trained Apollos? Ah, it was a woman named Priscilla. Thank God for Priscilla and millions of other leaders, women leaders in the church of Jesus Christ. And that brings me to point number three. Whatever spiritual gift a woman has received, let her use it. Let her use it. Uh, when St. Paul wrote about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, none of those gifts was made gender-specific. Paul did not say, now, if you've got this, this particular gift is only for men, or that particular gift is only for women. No. No spiritual gift is off-limits for women. Well, we wouldn't be good Methodists if we didn't ask what John Wesley would say about all of that. And a woman named Sarah Crosby began meeting with a group of Methodists in the year 1761. And they yearned for a word from the Lord. And she felt called to deliver it. And so she began preaching Sunday after Sunday. And her little congregation grew from 30 to over 200. She sent a message to Wesley. Is it okay to do what I'm doing? Does it have your blessing? And he wrote back and said, I think you have not gone too far. You could not have done less. One Methodist historian lists six prominent preachers in early Methodism who were women. And Wesley sent this message to a Methodist conference. And I quote, We give the right hand of fellowship to Sarah Mallet and have no objection to her being a preacher in our connection so long as she preaches Methodist doctrine, end of quote. Now, whereas it is true that Methodism did not begin ordaining women until the 20th century, John Wesley's prophetic leadership charted the course. How much weaker would the church be without women across the centuries? Think about it. Catherine Kuhlmann the great preacher and teacher. Think about Mother Teresa and then Corey Ten Boom during the years following World War II and then more recently Billy Graham's daughter Anne Graham Lotz. We have Methodist women on our staff as ordained persons and they do such a great work and we're so very proud of them and if I can add a personal note, just a month ago, August 12, uh, here at Mount Horeb, we had a great conference of the Global Methodist Churches of South Carolina. And Bishop Scott Jones was here and ordained about 17 men and women. And my own sister, Marie Allen, she and her husband, Gary, uh, came down from Virginia. And she was one of those uh, whom Scott Jones ordained as an elder in the global Methodist church and I had the privilege of standing behind her with my hands on her shoulders. Women have been the backbone of organized religion in America and according to many of the surveys by Gallup uh, have found that women practice their faith more co consistently and work more vigorously for the church than do we us men. 
If it were not for women, the Sunday school movement, especially for children, would have collapsed. Thank God for women in ministry. Recently, I saw a bumper sticker on a Chevrolet pickup truck, and it said, the rooster crows, but the hen delivers. <laughs> Let me close by sharing a story told to me by one of my laymen in a former church who, who was in India some years ago on business trip. And he had the privilege of witnessing an incredible worship service. The evangelist K.A. Paul was speaking to a group of about 400 girls and women in a large tent. And the weather there was about like South Carolina in August. But the, and the temperature inside the tent was even higher. And all of these women and girls were part of a lower class in India called the untouchables. Uh, their culture teaches that untouchables are worthless. Uh, untouchable women have the highest suicide rate in the world. They can be divorced for any reason and then have no way of earning a living other than begging or becoming prostitutes. K. Paul stood on that platform and he said to those women and girls, uh, let me tell you about the God I represent and what he thinks you're worth. And then he invited a little girl to come up and stand with him on the platform. And he held her hand. And he asked the crowd, I want you to think with me what the world, what our society says this little girl is worth. And that, he said, let's start with what she's wearing. That's sorry, that's sorry that she's wearing. Don't you think it's probably worth about 25 rubies? That's $1.50 in our money. And the people nodded. And then those sandals she's wearing, what are they worth? Don't you think about 15 rubies, maybe 75 cents? And they all nodded. And then he said, and you know, sometimes a little girl like this is sold on the market. What do you think this little girl would bring on the market today? Do you think maybe a hundred rubies? And they nodded. That's about seven, five to seven dollars. And lest we think that we're a whole lot better than India, let me remind you that every night and day, girls and women are trafficked across our open southern border by cartels. And the Border Patrol says 60% end up in human trafficking, sex slaves. And we Americans know it. But rather than do something about it, we try not to think about it. Now back to India and K.A. Paul. He looked out at that group of 400 girls and women, untouchables, and he said, the God of heaven and earth has hung a different price tag around the neck of every one of you, and it reads, priceless. God's only son, Jesus, died on a cross for all of you, and he would have gone to the cross even for one of you, even for this little girl. Why did he go to the cross? Because it was the price required for you to be forgiven and changed 
and saved. And three days later, God Almighty raised him from the dead as a mighty yes on that sacrifice. And God sent me here today to say to you that if you will receive this risen Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, you will be instantly uh, adopted as a daughter of his. Your life will be changed and your place in heaven with God Almighty will be assured. And he said, if any of you want to say yes to that offer, come and stand around this platform. And my friend who was witnessing this said, tears were rolling down my cheeks as I watched hundreds of these untouchables come forward to receive the good news. Aren't you glad to be part of a church that relays this message of Jesus Christ to all people, men and women, boys and girls? The message is, you are priceless. Come to Christ, and in Him, no dream is too big, and every hope can come true. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.